Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode of No Place Like Home is being brought to you by the Sierra Club, which encourages you to get out there and explore, enjoy, and protect the planet. Join our 3 million members and supporters working to power this nation with 100% clean energy at sierraclub.org. And now, on to this episode of No Place Like Home. Hi, I'm Marianne Hitt, climate activist and director of Sierra Club's Beyond Coal campaign, living in the West Virginia Hills. And I'm Anna Jane Joyner, climate activist, living on the Gulf Coast of Alabama. This is No Place Like Home, a show that gets to the heart of climate change. And welcome to episode two of our brand new season, All the Climate Feels. This season, we're connecting with experts and people who are on the front lines of this fight to talk about that and to see how they're coping and, you know, figure out ways that we can cope and find joy and, and hope and beauty and courage in the face of climate change. So today we're getting personal with a climate scientist. How does it feel to study this planetary crisis every day, to look right in the face of what we're facing um, and then pick up your head again and do it the next day. Where do climate scientists find hope and joy? Do they? We're going to hear more about that with the amazing Dr. Kate Marvel in just a minute. But first, Marianne and I have some catching up to do. Marianne, how are you doing? I have been on the road so much, Anna Jane. I think. I think four out of the last five weeks or something ridiculous, um, oh I, I hate to admit. And, you know, it's been all with good people with my Beyond Coal campaign people. And I was at a climate law conference at Columbia University, which was fascinating. So fancy. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that happened while I was out on the road was the new climate report came out from the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the definitive report from all the world scientists on climate change and it made some waves it um i i know by the time this airs uh, it will be a couple of weeks old but i think one of the big findings that really rocked people was the finding that we only have about a decade to take meaningful action to reverse the worst effects of climate change and it it felt like it uh it was a bit of a wake-up call for folks it, it sure got a lot of headlines it certainly impacted me <laughs> but i'm kind of um, the, all the, these things always impact me, but they also, it impacted a lot of my friends. Like I got a lot of texts and emails and, um, you know, just concerned calls from people who are outside of the climate activist space, um, being like, oh my God, this is like, this is real. I mean, not that they didn't think it was real before, but I think it just really hit home. I even had a couple of friends who are, you know, considering trying to have a baby sometime in the near future. And they were like, should should we reconsider this? <laughs> like, is this something we should put put on hold until this is figured out a little more? And my circles, like, I had a. There's a lot of people who seemed seemed to to perk up and pay attention that that this is, you know, as we've been saying, this is now or never, folks. 
Well, I'm so glad we have this season of our podcast now talking about the emotional and sort of spiritual psychological dimensions of climate change because it sure seems like people need it <laughs> with every Amen. you know with this uh, coming out in the news. And I, if I could just offer one quick ray of hope, um, I wrote a blog about this, but um, one of the key findings of the report that was we was that we need to move off of of coal, which is our most uh, one of our most climate intensive uh, you know fossil fuels as soon as we possibly can. And uh, the good news that I wrote about in my blog is that we're halfway there in the United States. And if we keep things up at the current pace, then within the next 15 years, we will have moved beyond coal entirely in the United States. And that doesn't solve the whole problem, but it, it solves a big piece of it. Um, and it's because wind, solar, and energy storage are uh, don't have the same effect on our, they're, they're carbon free, they're greenhouse gas free. Um, they're cheaper than coal at this point. And this grassroots movement that has already got half the coal plants in the country announced to retire is charging ahead and not slowing down and continuing to make that progress in spite of Trump. So offer that up for folks who are feel very weighed down by that report um, that we are still making progress. So there's hope. There is. So, Anna Jane, what about you? What is going on with you as I've been gallivanting all over the place? Well, other than dodging hurricanes left and right. Oh, I'm so <laughs> sorry for you and yeah. all the people of Florida. We are thinking of you. Oh, what a tragedy. It's rough, but, you know, I'm pretty tired of talking about hurricanes. So I did see a really great movie the Ooh, other day. Tell um, me more. I know. It's called A Star is Born. It's it's basically like there's a main character named Jackson Maine, and I'm not going to give away any spoilers in case you haven't seen it. But he is this he like he's so incredibly talented and beautiful and full of the ability to love and connect and have these joyful moments uh, and just you know all around brilliant person. But he's also a very sick person, and he has um, a big struggle with um, substance abuse. And, you know, the movie kind of alludes to childhood trauma and, um, you know, depression and anxiety. And so you have this very interesting relationship with him where you're just in awe of him and you love him and you want him to be okay. But it's very stark how... Um, self-destructive he is and also how he can be mean and, and very dark and so I don't know I just walked away and I had this like a weird metaphor in my head of him as kind of just like all humanity like we're so we're so capable of incredible art and love and connection and beauty and yet uh, we can we're obviously quite self-destructive and 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 kind of sick right now and I think in the climate space we oftentimes think of humans as you know we think of the earth as sick sometimes um, but we tend to think of humans as either kind of like villains and heroes or good and evil um, we don't often think of like just our society and our culture as being sick and that being a part of the problem that we're dealing with. Well, I love that. I love the idea of coming at this from our full humanity instead of these two-dimensional versions of ourselves um, because we do divide ourselves up into these, you know, these different camps or tribes. And uh, we, we f I think, forget to see the full humanity of, of you know, everybody on, on all sides of this issue. And I think we also miss opportunities to connect that um, are otherwise there. But that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about this interview with Dr. Kate Marvel, um, because you know she's a, she's a climate scientist. She is uh, confronted with the harsh realities of what we're facing every day, and yet she's bringing her full humanity to, you know, not just her intellect, but her heart and her compassion 
uh, and her grief to her work. And it was a really exciting interview uh, for our listeners. I know. I'm so excited to share it with y'all. Um, but first, we're going to hear from one of our listeners on how they are staying sane in the face of climate change. And if you would like to share some of the ways that you are staying sane in the face of climate change, please tweet us at NPLH Podcast. Hey, my name is Mariana Yees Hegler. I live in New York City. And here's a few ways that I stay sane in the face of climate change. First, exercise like yoga or running. Um, two, connecting with friends and building community. Three, chocolate, lots and lots and lots and lots of chocolate. And four, anything and everything related to Beyonce. scientists who I admire they're some of my you know the biggest heroes in in my life by like a lot but we all you know know that there is um there's some truth to it, that oftentimes scientists um present their research in, in drier ways not always the case but often um and I but I certainly did not find that to be the case in my conversation with Dr. Kate Marvel she is a climate scientist at Columbia University and the NASA Goddard Institute for Space Studies in New York City. And I am so excited to share our conversation with you, Marianne. I am so excited too. Tell me how you found her. Well, you know, um, I am a huge Twitter nerd. She's amazing. If you are on Twitter, follow her at Dr. Kate Marvel because she is so warm and engaging and even really funny. And like so many brilliant, powerful women scientists, you know, and activists for that matter, she often gets attacked on social media. So what does she do about it? She loves the mute button and she mostly doesn't engage. But honestly, she's talked a little bit about like, not, not really wanting to develop a thicker skin, wanting to, to take what she can and learn from it. We live in a society that does not treat women as full human beings. And that is reflected in, in the criticisms that get leveled at women. When people say, oh, you need to get a thicker skin, like, I don't want a thicker skin. My skin's fine as it is. And the fact that it hurts me when people call me names is a reminder to me not to call people names. You know, it's, it, it's like, this is wrong and this hurts you. And so even when you're very angry, even when you're very tempted to say something mean to somebody else, don't do it. Uh, thank you for that, Dr. Marvel. I definitely, uh, it's reassuring. Um, can you uh, just tell me more about her scientific background? What does she study? So she's a theoretical physicist. That's what she got her PhD in. But she really felt when she started diving into it that it was a little bit too removed from our kind of human experience and to helping humans digest the science. Um, and that's what she's really interested in is using science to help humans prepare for climate change. So she's switched gears and, and is now researching what kinds of changes are in store for us and what we can expect as we you know, put more greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. 
So that sounds kind of obvious, like climate change means the planet heats up, right? But we know that it affects so many different things. Um, so for example, it changes rainfall patterns, how much it rains and where it rains. Um, so I've done a lot of work on trying to understand how climate change is actually affecting rainfall patterns. Um, and there's unfortunately a lot of evidence that we are already changing rainfall patterns globally. Yeah, so she studies, you know, feedback loops. What happens when the Southern Ocean heats up? What kind of cascading effects does that do across the globe? And ultimately, she's trying to answer, like, how how bad is this going to get? It's going to be worse than we think. And that's really upsetting to me. I, I work a lot on this question of what does recent warming tell us about long-term warming? Um, so, you know, we have emitted greenhouse gases and the earth has gotten warmer in response to the greenhouse gases. Um, that's sort of uncontrovertible. But what does that tell us about how warm it's eventually going to get? And the thing that is really frightening to me is it seems like the warming that we've experienced so far leads us to underestimate how warm it's going to get in the future. Um, and that's because the future is just so different than anything we've ever experienced before. Like we are really heading toward a, a foreign planet, a planet that is is kind of science fictional that we've never experienced before. I mean, like this is this is why like nobody invites climate scientists to parties, right? <laughs> <You know>? like, <laughs> or why no one invites climate activists, right, Anna Jane? <laughs> <laughs> It was it was really amazing talking to somebody who's so immersed in kind of the dark side of this data and and what she's researching, but also still finds a lot of joy and wonder and awe in the way that the world works and, and the way that, you know, humans are, even though this can be hard and depressing stuff sometimes. And there is a lot of that, but there's also this sense of sort of wonder and gratitude. You know, when you when you realize things like, oh my God, like dust from the Sahara helps to fertilize the Amazon. You know, like we probably would not have an Amazon rainforest if we didn't have a Sahara desert. Like that for me is just sort of something that's so beautiful and so profound. I really like my job, despite all of the sort of worry and fear, because I do think there is that sense of just, oh, my God, this is amazing. Oh, I love that so much. You know, I'm married to a scientist, as uh, you know, and I think one of the most beautiful things about scientists is that their core motivation that drives them is curiosity about this beautiful planet that we live on and this beautiful world we inhabit and wanting to understand how it works and how things interact with each other. Um, my husband will tell me as some days when he's going off to work in the morning that he's off to uh, unlock the mysteries of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And, you know, I do think that that's the core, the core motivation for scientists. And it's only in the recent decades as the hard realities of climate science have become apparent that 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 fundamental instinct of joy and curiosity has this heavy overlay of kind of documenting the demise and, you know, wanting to sound an alarm and, and feeling like uh, people, people aren't hearing it. So it's just beautiful, really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I absolutely loved that part of her story and that she does have this sense of wonder and joy for our planet. That is what drives her work. But she also has a lot of grief and anxiety 
So I asked her, you know, how has she been feeling lately? I mean, not well. <laughs> um, my productivity has decreased in the past couple of years, you know, where, you know, every day the news cycle brings some sort of fresh horror. And you're like, oh my God, like, I, I have to like, see if the world's going to end today. That has, that has not been excellent for my productivity. One thing she did mention that's kind of heartening to her is that from a scientific standpoint, this is actually pretty simple and the solution is really clear. Like we just have to stop putting greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. <laughs> like it's pretty cut and dry. But she also, you know, she talked about that it's really normal to feel anger and she feels a lot of anger that we as a society, our leaders can't, you know, get our shit together to like meaningfully address this problem. She also, like, I think very wisely talked about how we have to be careful in how we use and navigate anger as an emotion. So if you have anger and you don't express it and you just try to sublimate it, then it's very easy for that to turn into anxiety. So I've been thinking a lot about how do we, in the climate space, how do we talk about anger? Because there, there's a lot to be angry about. You know, we have known this stuff for a really, really long time. And there are really powerful vested interests that have blocked any action, even sort of really sensible action that, you know, I would, I would argue does have kind of an intrinsic bipartisan support base. Um, that's, that's okay to be angry about that. What you, what you really don't want to do is you don't want your anger to kind of bubble up into scapegoating. I'm really uncomfortable with being angry at particular groups of people as opposed to the actions of very powerful people. On the other hand, you know, you cannot let that anger sort of become anxiety. And I think if you try to keep it bottled up inside you, then it, it can become anxiety. You know, that reminds me of our first uh, episode this season with uh, Dr. Renee Lertzman and, and the conversation that I had with her about needing to honor and work from and through that place of anxiety. It's kind of similarly rather than just trying to bottle it up and, and kind of push it down. And I think that that is a theme that runs through this interview too, is that recognizing that you're, you're feeling that anger or anxiety and then sort of moving forward with that acknowledgement is probably going to lead to better action and a sort of healthier, uh, better mental health than if you just try to bottle up and push it down and pretend that you're somehow, uh, somehow immune to it. Yeah, I really feel that. We, we talked about a pretty personal thing for Kate was just the idea of having, having children and how to parent and whether or not having, you know, the anxieties around deciding whether or not to be parents in this day and age. And if you are parents, how to raise children in this day and age. Kate has a son who she and she obviously thinks about his future constantly. My kid is almost three. Um, so most of the conversations I have with him are about like what he wants to be for Halloween, which incidentally is a squid that helps people. I don't know what that means, but, <laughs> but we will we will make that work. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of fortunate that I have not yet had to have those real conversations with him. But it does make it very, very personal. You look at climate projections in 2050, and it's very easy to kind of abstract those. Like, it, that's just a number. But, you know, I look at my kid, I'm like, he's going to be 35 in 2050, you know? And, and that's, this is, this is his life. 
And that kind of makes everything very, very vivid. So I totally understand and sympathize with the struggles of people trying to decide whether or not to have children. I never once regret bringing my son into the world because I just, he's such a joy. Well, I can definitely relate to that. Uh, My daughter is eight and I feel that becoming a mom is been a defining experience of my life and um, it was an incredible act of faith in the future and now my stakes in the future are incredibly high it's like my heart is out there walking around outside of my body I loved how she talked about uh, her son being 35 in 2050 you know last year when I was checking my daughter in at that point to second grade at school they had a little sign out welcoming the kindergarten class and this is the fall of 2017 and they were welcoming the high school class of 2030 And if you're a climate activist, you know, the number 2030 has always been out there as this date by which we need to do X, Y, Z, reduce emissions by some percentage, get off of fossil fuels and the power grid, whatever. But it's always 2030, 2030, 2030. And for a long time, it was was distant and remote. And now all of a sudden, the kindergarten class that is going to be the high school class of 2030, uh, they're now first graders. And so these are real kids that you, you know, see in your neighborhood, that you see in the grocery store that maybe are, you know, in your family, um, it makes it very personal and immediate. And as far as the emotional side of climate change, I think that's one of the most powerful emotional ways that we can connect with other people. Um, Because whether or not you're a parent, there's kids in your life that you love. And this is a, a common thread that runs through us all and unites us all as human beings. And it's something that can definitely cut through the partisan divide. Hmm. Marvel, she writes about all this so beautifully and about how things are going to be different for her kid and what that makes, you know, what that kind of means for all of us. You know, one of the ways that I came across her, she wrote this incredibly beautiful essay called We Need Courage, Not Hope in the Face of Climate Change. And she wrote it for On Being, which is one of our other favorite podcasts um, for their blog. And I just wanted to read you my favorite passage from that because it really... um, you know, I found it when I was kind of going through a phase where I didn't have a lot of hope or I was kind of, um, I was wrestling with where to find hope. And so the idea of, of finding courage instead of hope really resonated with me. And this is one of the things that stood out. She wrote, I have no hope that these changes can be reversed. We are inevitably sending our children to live on an unfamiliar planet. But the opposite of hope is not despair. It is grief. Even while resolving to limit the damage, we can mourn. And here, the sheer scale of the problem provides a perverse comfort. We are in this together. The swiftness of the change, its scale and its inevitability, binds us into one. Broken hearts trapped together under a warming atmosphere. We need courage, not hope. Grief, after all, is the cost of being alive. We are all fated to live lives shot through with sadness and are not worth less for it. Courage is the resolve to do well without the assurance of a happy ending. That is so profound. And it so encompasses, I think, being alive really uh, at any time. And the, the sort of mortality that underlies every breath we take, um, but especially in the age of climate change. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's beautiful. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I asked Kate about it. And when people ask her where she finds hope, People are always, they want to know that everything's going to be okay. And everything's not going to be okay. We've ruled out 
fine, you know, when we're looking at climate projections, the uncertainties are bad or really bad or catastrophic. And, and I think we need to be honest about that. And, and being honest about that requires that we make space for grieving. And, and I think that's, that's something that's really important. But at the same time, we know what the right thing to do is. <laughs> you know, have you ever read a book where the hero is like, eh, not going to go on that quest, probably not going to work? You know, like that's not a good story. You know, we admire people. We hold them up as heroes when they do the right thing and without demanding sort of a promise that the ending's going to be happy. And, and I think that's, that's what we need to do. I've kind of come to a similar place in the past couple of years of, of wrestling with uh, my own grief and anxiety around climate change. You know, I had to go to that place too. Like, like it's about wrestling with mortality and wrestling, you know, all of us are, are going to lose people we love and things that we love. And eventually we're not going to be here anymore in this experience either. And that doesn't make it any less beautiful or any less fighting for. We can't dwell on the loss. If we do, we just become paralyzed and that's not a way to live. And um, Kate talks about that. That's not a healthy way to live your life, and that's not, for me, a, a good way to live your life. You find happiness in the, the sort of little finite moments you're granted, and the fact that you lose things doesn't make you a bad person, and it doesn't mean that you should give up. Um, it means that you should try your best to live a good and moral life and, and do the right thing. And you shouldn't ever feel bad for enjoying the things that you do have. Well, that's such a beautiful final thought. Um, and Anna Jane, if I had if I had a wish for you, it would be that. The beautiful place that you live, the beautiful people around you, that you savor every moment of that beauty that you can. And, uh, and I think for all of our listeners, as we are in the midst of losing a lot of things that we love and care about, to not let that prevent you from experiencing the beautiful things that are right in front of you, whether that's your child dressed up as Hermione Granger for Halloween, <laughs> wanting to wanting to play Harry Potter with you, whether it's the sound of the rain falling on the leaves as you're drinking your morning coffee. I so honor the heavy weight lots of folks are carrying, and I just also hope and pray that you won't let that cover your eyes up to all the beautiful things that are in front of us every moment and the fact that we do still have time to make a big difference and to make this crisis a whole lot worse. And, um, and it, it's an honor and a privilege to live in a time when we have that kind of an opportunity and that kind of agency. And so to, to try to carry this work with a certain amount of lightness uh, because you only live once and this is a beautiful world. And uh, I think the world needs us doing this work from a, a place of joy and resilience if we can find it. Oh, absolutely. And I completely wish the same for you and all of our listeners. I think if we can't find beauty and joy in the midst of, of climate change and all this crazy you know, stuff the world is throwing at us, then it's like, what are we fighting for? Thank you for bringing me this beautiful inter interview, Anna Jane. It was, it was such a treat. That just about does it for us. Anna Jane and I want to thank you all so much for listening. Thank you to our sponsor, the Sierra Club. Thank you to the incredible band River Wireless for our theme music. Be sure to check them out. 
Um, and most definitely thanks to our lovely guest, Dr. Kate Marvel. Y'all, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, um, and leave us a review. This really helps us out, and it helps other people find the show. So if you can uh, subscribe and leave us a review, we would be most grateful. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be posting all episodes and updates about upcoming episodes on our Twitter page, NPLH Podcast. So be sure to follow us there. And we would love to hear from you. If you have comments, if you have questions, um, if you have ideas for upcoming shows, again, tweet at us. We will tweet you back. We are at NPLH Podcast. And remember, there's no place like home.